Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. It's the belief that I can be the master of how I react to any situation, that it's not the situation that I should blame. Ultimately, if things go off the rails, it's how I reacted to it. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. So our guest this week is, uh, at first blush at least, uh, somewhat counterintuitive. Tom Bergeron, uh, you may know the guy from uh, Dancing with the Stars, where he's the, the, the host. He's hosted plenty of other shows uh, over the years. But he's also a long-term and very dedicated meditator. He even wrote about it quite extensively in, in a book called I'm Hosting as Fast as I Can, which came out many years ago. Um, I've wanted to have him on for a while. Uh, I finally was able to to, to wrangle it, and uh, we're posting it in conjunction with the um, season premiere of Dancing with the Stars. One of the things, and you'll hear this, he he is different in some in some striking and very interesting ways than you might think by watching the guy on television. So with that, here he is, Tom Bergeron. I've been watching you since I was a little boy in Boston, and when I had a a sick day when I didn't have to go to school, yeah. I'd be able to watch a talk show that was produced locally called People Are Talking, yeah. hosted by a guy named Tom Bergeron. Right. And then I watched your career just blossom ever since. You were on a little show called America's Funniest Home Videos, yeah. Hollywood Squares, um, and now, uh, what's the name of the show on ABC? That, that dancing thing. Dancing with the Stars, yeah. yes. And what is what really caught my I've I've met you briefly, right. uh, fleetingly on the set of of Good Morning America on occasion, but what really caught my attention about you is that you wrote a whole book about meditation. It really I, was. It was sort of a stealth book about meditation. Yeah. It was uh, called I'm Hosting as Fast as I Can was the main title. And under the guise of stringing together a bunch of career anecdotes, it really was a book about meditation. It really was a book about the the importance of being present in your life and being in the now of your life. And uh, and and that was the only reason I thought it would have any merit is if there was some kind of takeaway. What was interesting to me, uh, and it's been a minute since I've looked at the book, but really what screamed out to me was that behind this sort of wall of affability, yeah, there's there's you're a complex human being. Well, I think we all are, yes, and of and and you know that's certainly what what brought you to this whole experience of doing this book and 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 this podcast. And it's that we are complex. I mean, I, one of the things that uh, that I had to deal with and still do, it's still uh, there right under the surface, is a, a really bad temper. Really? And uh, You would, I mean, nobody would ever well, guess Well, good. That. That's good. It means the meditation's working. <laughs> uh, but, and you're a great host. Yeah, thank you. But uh, yeah, there were a few apartment walls in my single days that uh, you know, had holes in the sheetrock that I punched through. And and uh, as, I've, I've, as I've said... Apparently, just putting a poster over it when you leave the apartment does not get you your security deposit back. No. Uh, but it, what it did when I met my wife and we were dating and um, and she could see, and it was, the, the temper thing was always directed at inanimate objects or myself. But there was one, one time we were out and, and, and something happened and I just, I put my fist into the door of the car, just, ah, oh, damn it. And, and she wisely said, you know, if we're going to have a relationship, that has to stop. And I had dabbled in meditation before, off and on. But uh, I think the next day I signed up for a, a course in TM. 
Transcendental meditation. Yeah, yeah. So, so we TM comes up on the show quite a bit. Can you? But I always ask people just to sort of describe what it is, so the, so the listener understands. Yeah, I'm not really a, a meditation purist. I mean, I sometimes, and I don't mean to uh, uh, disparage uh, one brand over another, but to me, it's it. There, there's a central technique to meditation, and it's it's the discipline of finding a focal point, be it a mantra, as it is in my case or a word that means something to you, or your breath, or, you know, focusing on a flickering flame, whatever. But it is that discipline of, of sitting and, and trying to quiet your thoughts. In the case of TM, they give you a Sanskrit mantra that they say after you go through the initial training is picked, you know, uh, for you, and that's fine. And and it certainly worked. I've done it for over 35 years. I meditated wow. this morning. Wow. So do, uh, do, do the, they recommend that people do 20 minutes twice a day? Which yeah, works. I don't always do that. Like this morning, I did a half hour just because it was so, uh, it was, and, and you probably experienced this too. There are times when, you know, you're kind of opening your eye and checking the digital <laughs> clock and it's taking forever. And other times you just fall into this wonderful sense of pure energy that was is just amazing and and is something i'm drawn to every day i really am unpack that for me pure energy what do you mean by that well i think when when i've meditated and meditate regularly in in that process there is a point at which and sometimes it's only minutes into it and and i would just add as a as a side note Thoughts always intrude. People who stop meditating because they think they're failing because thoughts intrude. I've been doing it for, like I said, 35 years. They always intrude. And it's fine. You just don't judge them. You acknowledge them. You move them aside. You go back to your focal point, in, in that, the, the mantra for me. And then there's a moment sometimes. It's almost like a runner's high. When I, I stop feeling where my feet and my fingers are, and I just feel like energy. And it's in those moments that the connective tissue that I really believe exists among us all and everything starts to feel very visceral. It's, it starts to, you know, I'm kind of, okay, I get this now. And then, you know, then I come out of it and go on with my life, but it impacts it, whether it's hosting a TV show or just uh, how I deal with traffic or anything or any incoming stressor, it helps. So that in those moments, if I understand correctly, you are, to use the T in in TM transcending the 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 the, the small Tom Bergeron the yeah, ego the yeah. sense of being this embattled isolated self against the world mm. you actually some of that stuff starts to evaporate a little absolutely bit. Alan Watts used to uh, one of the phrases uh, and he had many I loved uh, we're all egos and bags of skin yeah and uh, in those moments that ego and that sense of being a bag of skin if you will tends to fade away. And you get the sense, or I get the sense of something uh, more connected. Um, and it, it increases everything. It increases, I think, empathy. It increases my sense of where I am at any given moment in the day of my life. And uh, I think it, and I love your title because I think it does, it does make you happier. It does make you better able to um, assess things as they're happening. So as to not fly off the I have not damaged any sheetrock in 35 years. I'm proud to say <laughs> sheetrock is safe now. <laughs> so, but but does the temper go – I mean, do you, find, I mean you, you have a stressful job. You do yeah. a lot of live television. You had a lot of people whispering in your ear. You um, I mean, Just watching Dancing with the Stars. It would be hard for people to know this if they haven't tried to host something 
but I've done a certain amount of hosting, like yeah. a fraction, tiny fraction of what you've done. But I, but to see how masterful you, you, you masterfully you manage all of these moving parts, and it's all live, and there's so many different people, the judges and the contestants, and um, and the audience, and your co-host. I would imagine at times that there's a certain amount of stress that still after 35 years might seep through, but, but correct me if I'm wrong. Paradoxically, those two hours are the most relaxed I am all day. I, 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 it's, I've said before, it's like I have bedroom slippers on and I'm doing this and I love it and I'm aware and listening and it's, I'm like, uh, to, to pile metaphors on. It's like, you know, kid on Christmas morning, you something's going to happen. I'm going to unwrap something. I'm going to be aware of something. It's all about the excitement of being present to have all those moving parts. Um, and where I have a harder time isn't just real life, you know, where, where sometimes um, I'm more apt to feel annoyed at, at normal stuff. But in, a, in an environment like that, a three-ring circus like that, completely relaxed. That's so interesting. So yeah. so do you think that meditation has helped you in 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 your natural milieu of hosting? Absolutely. Live? Oh yeah, no question. Uh, between the dress rehearsal that we do on a Monday and the live show, we go live uh, to the East Coast at five o'clock Pacific time, I meditate in my dressing room. And uh, the staff knows now, you know, if, if we knock and he doesn't answer, he's probably, you know, if he's, if he's not at craft services, he's, <laughs> he's meditating. And I'll do that for, you know, whatever I can. Sometimes I can eke out only 10 minutes, sometimes a full 20, but it helps. Yeah. And so just I, I would love to know more. This now I'm asking this question completely selfishly because yeah. I, too, uh, do a certain amount of live hosting. Right. Um, can, can you walk me through it, like how it's useful in those moments? Because I feel st- you never show you never show any stress when I see you hosting uh, Dancing with the Stars. But I feel a little stressed because <laughs> I'm projecting myself into your yeah. your shoes and th- your bedroom slippers, as yeah, it were. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, how does he manage all of this? So, c- can you just can you give me a sense of how 35 years of meditation might show up for you in those times? I think it, I think the key thing is the first word that comes to mind to answer that question is trust. I trust that. I, because of the practice, because uh, of the investment of, of time and mental energy into being present, that I'm going to be aware of or I'm going to somehow know how to roll with whatever happens, be it, you know, somebody passing out has happened a few years ago or, or you know, a judge going a little crazy uh, or, you know, just an, an awkward moment that needs to be finessed to move us forward in the show so we don't get caught, you know, that the wheels don't spin in this in this awkward. So I trust that. I really go out knowing. As a matter of fact, one of our former executive producers, uh, Rob Wade, one time there was a power failure at uh, CBS Television City where we do the show. We lease studio space from them. And uh, and there was a power failure and we'd only have certain lights and and uh, I, I was thrilled. I and, and Rob came up to me and he said, Damn it, you love this, don't you? And because yeah, because it's like, how do we play with it? What you know, it's 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 a ballroom show. It's not neurosurgery. Let's you know have, <laughs> have a good time. You know, it's, it's it's so interesting to me. You use the word trust because just again speaking from my limited experience, yeah. and my and I, when I say limited experience, I mean not only limited experience 
in hosting, but also in meditating, because I've only been doing it for eight years, yeah. and I've only been doing hosting truly in this in, in in a way that would overlap with the way the type of hosting you've done in the past seven years on Good Morning America mm-hmm. on the weekends, where yeah. I was kind of thrust in this position where. Before that, I was a, a traditional news anchor just right. reading off of a teleprompter. It was just me. And then I had to make this transition to being in a three-ring kind of news circus yeah. in the mornings. Um, and But isn't that fun, the shifting gears? It is, but it, it was very hard for me to make that transition. Yeah. And I have to be honest, I was really bad at it for a long time. And I'm not just being – that's not false modesty. Yeah. If you look at my Twitter feed from that time, <laughs> I was being <laughs> – Told how yeah. bad I was, eviscerated it, by absolutely, yeah. and I think they were correct. And actually, it was you know we can talk about how mean Twitter is, but yeah. actually it was sort of useful for me to see. Okay, yeah, I I'm, I'm a little tight here, yeah. and um, and then last year I actually hosted a game show on ABC uh, that that I can now add to my list of credits. Failed game show host <laughs> because that game show did not get uh, renewed. Um, but I, I've. The word trust has come up over and over um, for me because in recent years, I've become more and more comfortable and I found myself saying funny things occasionally or things that people laugh at, right? And I I don't know where it comes from and I get nervous that I'm not going to be able to do it again. I walk into the show the next day and I'm like, well, everybody said I was funny yesterday, but am I going to be able to be funny today? I don't know because I I can't plan the jokes. And in fact, when I do plan a joke, it always fails. For me too. For me too. So trust is is a real thing. And I actually think meditation has helped me just kind of Get out of my own way. Stop planning the next move. Stop just spinning and just be open to whatever's happening and trust that actually some thought will, or idea or wisecrack or whatever will come. It doesn't always come, but if I trust it, it's more likely to. The, the couple things came to mind as you were saying that. One was uh, an evening. Years ago, I, I would do a one-man show, and, and there was an improv section in that. And I would take from one member of the audience, just yell a, 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 a profession. And from another member of the audience, I'd yell a situation, and I'll pick one of the, and I would do something in in an improvisational setting. And so, boom, boom, and I did it, and it was magic. It was like it was being written from up above and sent to me, and I was instantly doing it perfectly, and the audience was ecstatic, and my agent at the time, her jaw dropped. It was one of those moments and I just and then and then I made the fatal mistake as the applause was ebbing. I went to, in my mind. I went, I'm really good. <laughs> and the next improv sucked. <laughs> the moment I got my ego in it, instead of enjoying this communal sharing of energy that had just happened, instead of making it about wow, this experience that we just had was cool. Let's see if we can have another one. It was. I really am amazing. And then, (laughs) you know. I've had that happen over and over again. Yeah, yeah. but to to me, any time I've tried to, and as a matter of fact, in the early, the first season of Dancing with the Stars, which was only six weeks in the summer of 2005, there was a lot of written stuff. And I'm very good friends with the guy who wrote it, and we've worked together for years. But ultimately I said, and I wrote about this in, in, in that book, this doesn't feel right. I'm, I'm hosting a live show. Things are happening in the moment, and I've got a scripted line. However good that might be, it's no longer germane to what just happened. So I've got to, again, trust, and the producers thankfully ultimately <laughs> agreed with me, that I'll respond appropriately. And it might be funny sometimes. It might be 
sympathetic sometimes. It might be uh, dogmatic, some, but it'll be appropriate to the moment. And you can't script that. You just can't. So trust became very important in how we as a team on Dancing with the Stars allowed me to do the hosting the way I thought it should be done. So interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so talk, talk to me about when you're outside of the bedroom slippers, so the yeah. rest of your life. Because yeah. clearly you just, I mean, it just emanates off you how much you love doing live hosting. I do. But the I rest do. of life is messy and complicated. Yeah. And now you've got this 35 years of practice under your belt. Can you just walk us through a little bit of how, how it shows up in, in, in the uh, 22 hours a day when you're not on live television? Yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's the smallest things, being in traffic, uh, getting getting to the studio to do Dancing with the Stars, depending on when I leave the house uh, in, in L.A., anybody who's been out there knows that 20 minutes of difference can mean an extra hour and a half in the car. And I, I remember being in Laurel Canyon, uh, just in bumper-to-bumper traffic, just getting to a, you know, there's a merge that takes forever, and I had left too late, and, all, and I decided, all right, I'm going to turn off the radio, and watch how, this sounds silly, but it works. Watch how light plays on surfaces, you know, uh, and just whether it's in the, in the trees, on the, on the cars, the energy of people around me, just be in this environment. Don't, don't stop, wish, stop wishing I could go faster, be there sooner, be somewhere else. Oh, damn it, I wish I took the other road instead of this road. Be here now. What's what is it about here now that's fascinating that I might never experience again? Sometimes it's those choices that make a big difference in those other twenty-two hours a day. Uh, that and, you know, like anybody, we we succeed sometimes and we fail sometimes. But but it's it's the belief that I I can be the master of how I react to any situation. That that it's not the situation that I should blame. Ultimately, if things go off the rails, it's how I reacted to it. What, you know, I had a, I had a whole realm of choices I could have made. Uh, being in traffic, I could be leaning on the horn or, you know, I could be watching light play on a, on a tree and make sure I don't, you know, ram the car in front of me. But that's a better choice, I think. So Absolutely. That, yeah, you reframed the whole experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and you're actually living the actual, your actual life as opposed to Thinking about uh, what you're missing right now, right. the other uh, routes you could have taken, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Walking over here today because in L.A. nobody walks. No, <laughs> you know, you might see a pedestrian, and it's it's you know, you you just you want to put them in a zoo because there's they're, they're like, we found a pedestrian. <laughs> uh, but here, it was I you know I, was, I left the hotel and I was a little early, so I sat with the the, the last part of my coffee and wa- and I love Manhattan for people watching. And just watching the, the different energy, the different rhythms, the different types of people, the, the diversity here that's so uh, electric. And it was, you know, it was great. I was just completely immersed in the pleasure of watching this, this parade of, of, of uh, humanity going by. I mean, you are sort of a walking advertisement for the compounding benefits of meditation practice. Because for so many people, you know, I'm only eight years into this. There yeah. are days where I'm like, why am I? Doing this. Mm-hmm. is this especially after those one of those sits where you are eyeing the clock yeah. and you're like when yeah. is this going? But if you keep at it, I, I, there's a teacher who, who uses the phrase "time and nature." In other words, I'm going to I'm going to 
invoke again the word trust. If you just trust that the process of meditation works and let time and nature do its work, yes, right. that over time uh, it can show up with pretty big benefits. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 again, I use that building the mental muscle idea. You know, I'm a bit of a gym rat, so I know that if I keep going to the gym and I work out and I feel better – and, you know, I, I look better on camera next to those 20-somethings with 2% body fat and everything. You know, so that's the same thing, really. It's, it's investing in that and knowing that it pays dividends over time. And it pays dividends right away, too. Uh, but, yeah, there, there are definitely those days when it's like, really? Is it only eight minutes? Oh, my God. <laughs> I have to say, dude, you, you do look damn good. How, Thank you. How old are For, you? I'm 87 years old. You, uh, no, you, I'm 62, actually. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so you. you're an advertisement for spending time in the gym, too. Well, thanks. <laughs> and are you super careful about what you eat? And I'm, not su- I'm not super careful, but I am somewhat careful. I, I, you know, I try to uh, – and, and I, I, you know, I kid about it, but it's, it's true. I, I have the great incentive of working alongside these incredible artists and athletes who are these dancers – and it keeps you, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm going to, if I have to stand next to Derek Huff and Cheryl Burke, I better go to the gym. Yeah. You know? uh, we do and, that uh, to me too. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but I'm, but also I love the, 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 the results of what it feels like sometimes in the midst of, like I did a training session yesterday and I didn't really want to go, but I did. And I, you know, I was whining about the leg exercises. It's like a running joke with my trainer and all that. But then about 20 minutes in, you know, you start. The blood's moving, and you know the, you're, you're cracking a few jokes, and you're having fun, and it feels good, and and that's very often what what sitting is like for meditation. You know, just and then suddenly five six minutes in, you feel that that first insinuation of that electric connectivity, and uh, it's like, oh, I'm so glad I did this. You know, that's the the more common reaction. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. It's 
It's so cool to sit here with somebody who you kind of think you know because I've just watched you for yeah, decades and yeah. realize how much more is there. <laughs> and I suspect that everybody listening or watching this is going to feel the same way. Well, I, you know, I, and my goal, going back to when, when I did the book and, and in conversations like this, why I was so looking forward to chatting with you about this, I, I really, uh, I just see the value in it, you know, and, and, if, and if it can make somebody give it a shot, and it, 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 the thing that's important, I think, that there's no religious connection to this. This is a practice. It's just a, a sort of, I mean, there can be, certainly, uh, but, but you don't have to feel like if you're of a certain religious belief that you're, you're going rogue if you, you know, if you meditate. It's a lovely adjunct to, and it can make your religious life even more. I, I don't happen to be religious myself, but I could certainly see where it would help in, enrich somebody in a religious life uh, just by virtue of the practice of staying aware of your life as it unfolds. Yeah, it's secular. Yeah. I, I believe it's exercise for the brain yeah. and the mind. Um, and in terms of uh, it, from what I'm not particularly religious myself, but friends of mine who are say that their prayer life is transformed because I, they're, I they're absolutely see that they're yeah. tending their to-do lists less frequently and right. actually focusing on the divine connection they're seeking. Yeah, yeah. Um, this has been fascinating, but I want to I want to dive just in, out of personal curiosity into your background of how you became oh, okay. Tom Bergeron. So yeah. you you I, I blame my parents for that. Yeah, well, right? for that that's the that's the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so you grew up in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you how did you get into hosting? I was uh, at Haverhill High School, and I found out that there was a, uh, a an English teacher and a public speaking teacher who worked part time at the local radio station. I thought, okay, I was like a, I was basically like a, like a heat-seeking missile. I'm going to get in his class, and I'm going to impress the hell out of him, and see where that. Li- and I did. I got into his public speaking class, and he ended up introducing me to the uh, the owner of the local radio station. And I, in my senior year in high school, I was uh, I was I was working in radio part time. So were you a class clown? Were yeah, you, yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I freshman year in high school, the English teacher, uh, no, the history teacher, would award at the end of the year whoever was the biggest cut up, the boob of the year award, <laughs> and and uh, I won it. I'm proud to say. I would like to think with a more erudite humor than the the runner up. <laughs> Or, or or all previous, yeah, and, all previous, yes. Boots. It was, yeah. I would like to think it was more of an Algonquin roundtable humor <laughs> that I brought <laughs> to that class uh, in in Haverhill High. So senior year, you're already doing uh, radio, Do it, doing and then, radio, and yeah. you just kept with it. I kept with it. I was going to, you know, we were talking before we started that my oldest daughter graduated from Emerson College, a wonderful facility in Boston, and I was going to go there to get a, a degree in broadcasting in the hopes of getting a radio job. But I had a radio job already, so I thought, mm, maybe I'll just put that off for a while and stayed and worked. And, and then my boss threatened to fire me unless I went to school. He said, I didn't hire you to not go to college. So uh, I ended up going to a local community college just to take courses, just to keep the job. I didn't want to annoy him. And ended up working with a theater company and then studied with a, a mime in Maine, who a wonderful teacher, Tony Montanaro, this brilliant, brilliant guy, who uh, studied with Marceau. And so I was doing, at one point, a morning radio show and evening mime performances with a troupe. And a buddy of mine said, you know, it's fascinating. When we hear you, we can't see you. And when we see you, we can't hear you. (laughs) So you're a mime. Yeah. You know, just sit down. 
Yeah, you're good. Illusionary walls, yeah. and, you know. Uh, I'll give you a co- color commentary. He's yeah. doing the classic yeah, the hand on the wall hand thing. Hand on the wall. And then, there, and then this can be misused in so many ways, but this is, theoretically, it's just toothbrushing. <laughs> I'm not going to describe <laughs> yeah, that no. one. Don't, that nope. could go, that yep. can go completely mm-hmm. blue if that, you wanted that to. Could, that could cost both of us, <laughs> that could damage our rel- uh, respective relationships right. with the Walt Disney Company. Yes, who that's write, true. Who writes our checks. Yeah. Um, so you're miming, hosting, studying, and then, and then, it, and then you end up... You were hosting a, t- a radio show in New Hampshire, and, and TV producers in Boston. Started yeah, calling? I was doing a, a, a wonderful station in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That that's uh, a beautiful town. Oh God, I love it. It's a beautiful town. Yeah, it really is. And to me, a New Englander, that is quintessential. Yes, New England. Yes. So that's where I I always gravitate. Where f- when I was working in New York, and so many friends would go, you know, to to uh, Long Island or the Hamptons, my wife and I would keep going right back to New Hampshire. What was the original question? I forget. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the, the TV news oh, producers in yeah. Boston. So I was doing this, the radio show in Portsmouth, and it was a very improvisational show. I'd play music, certainly, but I'd have musicians come in and perform live, and occasionally we'd do fundraising live performances from the local theater that were sort of a Saturday Night Live takeoff that I, I would write with some of the other uh, DJs. and um, So there was this great – they gave me a lot of rope. And I was creatively just in this really uh, uh, very energetic period. And the station signal got into the Boston market, um, into the North Shore anyway. And there were people who were producers in Boston TV who were listening to the show. And out of the blue, I was getting these calls. You want to come down and audition for this uh, show on Channel 5 in Boston? want to come down and audition for this kid show on Channel 4. and So, yeah, so I, I did, and that kind of, the TV thing happened by accident. So uh, I were you, you were on People Are Talking, but did you also do the Evening Magazine? No, I'd, I'd fill in on that. I was, yeah. uh, prior to doing uh, the, the People Are Talking show, I started at WBZ TV in Boston in 81. That was Channel 4, Channel and at 4. that time was NBC. That's now right, it's now it's CBS, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I was doing just you know basically a, a week a weekly kid show that we would pre-tape. Like, it was like Evening Magazine, but for kids. And, uh, and that maybe would, that's why I saw it. That, because that in nineteen eighty one, I was yeah 10. yeah. They, well, there you go. It might Super Kids. It was called. It was on the weekends. And uh, and that so I got my foot in the door, and then I'd fill in on different things. It was a, a format called For Today. You would host. Daytime programming, you'd be on for 90 seconds and a minute, and a, you know, a minute here, two minutes there. Glenn Close was my guest on one of those. We promoted two movies in 53 seconds. And at the end, because it was live and we get off the air and she looked at me and she went, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> but so that led to them saying, oh, the host of people are talking, takes them, you want to fill in. And then ultimately they, they offered me that, that job when they chose not to renew the other guy's contract. And, uh, yeah, so that all happened because of a radio show. And when did America's Funniest Home Video start? That happened because I, I was doing Hollywood Squares in syndication, and I would go back to Boston every so often to uh, host the New England Emmy Awards to just sort of keep those connections alive and see old friends. And, and Vin DeBona, who's the creator of uh, AFE, also from the Boston area, also had worked at WBZ, and was getting an award that night. And I was ad-libbing my way through the, the the hosting. And his late mother, Jean, leaned over to him and said, you should hire him. 
And uh, he was actually talking to ABC about bringing the show back because it had been a series of specials at that point. It wasn't a weekly show anymore. So he said, yeah, AB. So at that at that award ceremony, I sat down. He goes, um, would you be interested in hosting AFB? It was kind of like, I said, well, yeah, I'd have to do it a little different than Bob because, you know. Bob Saget. Bob Saget. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the same, uh, you know, I don't do the character voices and all that stuff. But we figured that out as we went along. But, uh, yeah, that was how it started. And when you're in your personal life, um, are you, like, at a party? Are you, do you feel the need to host everything? No, I'm not a big party person. Here's the, here's the interesting sort of uh, twisted wires. On a live TV show in front of, whatever, 20 million people, bedroom slippers. Party, small talk. I'm looking for the exits. My upper lip starts to sweat. I'm, unless it's work-related, if it's like, uh, you know, like a neighborhood association party or something like that, Lois, my wife, uh, would have to hear from people, where'd Tom go? Oh, oh, he's probably out driving around so he can refocus. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm lousy at small talk. I'm a, I'm a bit of a loner anyway. Um, and, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big party person. I like smaller groups, you know. I'm apt to get a little claustrophobic sometimes. In large groups. Yeah. But what about when you're mobbed by people who know you from TV? Well, I was at the the, the gang from Dancing with the Stars is doing a, a tour. And so my wife and I went to White Plains the other night because we're, we're in Connecticut and we're nearby. And and, and naively, I thought, yeah, oh, we got a couple tickets and we'll just show up. And, and the moment we were walking into the venue, people who were there, big fan base of the show, you know, they're, Tommy, you know, and... And it, it turned into, um, I mean, it was a very flattering uh, uh, situation, but it was um, a bit overwhelming. A lot of people wanting pictures and autographs. And my wife was an absolute sweetheart taking pictures for them. And But it, security finally had to say, okay, we got to just kind of, you know, <laughs> back this up. And for a while I was fine, but I, I did start to feel uh, a little bit um penned in you know there's this trope about comedians that many comedians while super charismatic and hilarious on stage are often very shy yeah. in person yeah you think that's a, yeah. a, a, a kind of what we're talking about here absolutely i i would read interviews with uh or uh, carson johnny carson and i got to work with ed mcmahon his sidekick on uh stuff when i did muscular dystrophy stuff when jerry lewis was doing it and Ed McMahon and I talked a lot about Carson and how quiet and, and sort of uh, shy he was away from hosting The Tonight Show uh, and very much a loner. And, and, uh, and you know, I've read interviews with Letterman or people who've worked with him say the same thing. And I think there, I think there is a bit of a, a common strain and that in some ways the, it's, it's, it's easier to do the hosting because I feel more in control. I know what the parameters are. Okay, we're a two-hour show. There are all these moving parts, but I know what the moving parts are. I know my, you know, in real life, like at a party, as I, Lois, my wife, who was a producer, had the best advice for me, and it helped. It still doesn't make me want to go to parties much more, but, but when I do go, she said, find the person in the room who looks more uncomfortable than mm-hmm. you feel mm-hmm. and interview them. <laughs> you love hearing about people's lives and why they and and people generally love to talk about themselves. Yes, they do. So find that person and don't worry about the rest of it and and that work that was really helpful advice. 
Is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? Any areas you wanted well, to Well, math. I, any math questions, I'm really – no. I'm not. <laughs> oh, wait. There was a story you were going to tell me about uh, the Three Stooges. Oh, well, well, yeah, because where we are in California now when I'm out doing Dancing with the Stars is only a few miles away from the motion picture facility uh, uh, home and, and, uh, and facility in Woodland Hills. So when I was 16 years old, uh, my folks were out. My sister was having a sleepover at a friend's house, and I did what any 16-year-old kid left alone – in Haverhill, Massachusetts, would have done in 1972, I decided to call the three students. <laughs> so I called information. I knew Mo Howard and Larry Fine were still alive. I said, M- Mo Howard, Larry Fine, the operator says, well, we've got several M. Howards. I've got one Larry Fine. So I'll take that number. And I called it, and his mother answered. I thought, that doesn't work out. His mother would be 109. She said, oh, no, 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 we're, it's not that Larry Fine who lives here, but I do know where he is. He's at the Motion Picture Home. She gave me the number because they had had other calls like the that. The Motion Picture Home. Yeah, in Woodland Hills. That's what it was, a motion picture and, and television uh, home, I think so it was So it's like called. a nursing home for yeah. stars? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, he had suffered a stroke, and he was recuperating there, so I called with my heart beating like a jackhammer, and the guy at the switchboard goes, yeah, Larry, yeah, let me get him. And he comes back, he says, he's playing poker. He has a good hand. Can you call back in half an hour? And I did. Larry comes on the phone, and he was still very recognizably Larry. And about 10 or 15 minutes into this conversation, and he was so gracious with this kid from Massachusetts, he goes, you want Moe's number? (laughs) He gives me Moe's home phone number. I called Moe's house. His wife answered, put Mo on the phone. Mo sounds just like Mo of the, the films. And he said, who gave you this number? And I said, Larry did. And there was this wonderful pause as I remember it. And he went, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> you lame brain. But over 18 months, I talked to them probably half a dozen times. No each. kidding? Yeah. And what did you ask him? Just about the films, about their background, about this, you know, what they thought about comedy now, everything. And luckily, some of those tapes survived. Oh, you recorded them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when I was promoting the book that we alluded to years ago, uh, I was on Howard Stern's show. And he's a big Stooges fan. And he said, do those tapes exist? I don't know. I'll look for them. Found them. Found a half hour with Mo and about 20 minutes with Larry. And we turned it into a 90-minute special which also features a lot of their Stooge parody stuff they've done on the Stern Show. And you can find it, I think, online now. It's called uh, uh, Stooges Lost and Found. And you can hear, as I did one time, it's very surreal, driving to do a production meeting for Dancing with the Stars down Laurel Canyon. I happen to have uh, the Sirius station, Howard Sirius station on, and I'm listening to 16-year-old me interview Mo Howard while then 59-year-old me was driving to work to host Dancing with the Stars. It was kind of cool. That's a trip. Yeah, yeah. Well, Howard Stern is also a TM. Uh, yes, he is. Yeah, he is. Such a pleasure to sit and talk to Same you. Same here, Dan. Thank you very Same much. Same here, you if, bet. If people, want, if people want to find the book, if they want to find more well, information about you. Well, if they want to find, find the book, it's holding up some of the finest windows in America right now. And <laughs> <laughs> but it, there, there is an audio version. You can get it on Audible. And listen to me drone on for six and a half hours. Awesome. Yeah. I think people will like that. <laughs> um, and, and what about uh, you're on Twitter? I'm on any, Twitter. Any other places to find you that you're you're putting stuff out? Not really. No, you know, uh, uh, you can usually find me at a Starbucks. 
Cool. Yeah, just uh, hanging out. It, it, and ignoring everybody and not talking to them. I talk. You do. I talk, yeah. yeah. Briefly. Briefly, yeah. But just, if, the, if the lip starts to sweat. Then, <laughs> then uh, yeah, yeah, just let them back away. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, just, just such a, a pleasure to sit and Same talk here. To you. Really, Same here. really fun. We're looking forward to this. Okay, that does it for another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to subscribe, rate us. Also, if you want to suggest topics you think we should cover or guests that we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. Importantly, I want to thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, and the rest of the folks here at ABC who helped make this thing possible. We have tons of other podcasts. You can check them out at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. I'm Shimon Liai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense thing you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost, but now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you wanna understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.